seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hope everybody is well this morning and excited about what God has for us. I believe God's got something special for us. Uh, last week, two weeks, for those of you that are visiting or don't know, I had the opportunity or the privilege, what I call it, to be able to take our students to youth camp. And uh, while it was a uh, long week. I just got back from vacation. Didn't know I was going to get to do that, and then I got to do it. And it was just a long week with uh, uh, our high school students and a couple of middle school students. And uh, we had a wonderful time. But while we were there, which is strange considering um, it, people from all over the country were there, I ran into a friend of mine that I went to seminary with. He was at the same camp, and uh, we were able to start talking. We were able to visit, and uh, you know, ministers when they get together to talk, people always wonder what ministers talk about we talk about the church uh it's just part of who we are and i know that may seem cliche or it may seem boring but uh, ministers like to talk about the church because we love the church regardless of what you think of a pastor or a minister or staff uh if they don't love the church then they're in the wrong business and so when ministers get together they start talking about the church and and the funny thing is is it's always the same things uh, matter of fact, when I was in student ministry, we would go to conventions and see some of my buddies. We would make fun of the interactions between pastors because the way it works is uh, they don't talk about what's wrong with the church. They always talk about how great their church is. And it always works out this way. Uh, they'll walk up and say, hey, brother, how are you? And where you been? And, you know, you still at the same place. Well, how are you guys doing? And, you know, just to listen to these guys, well, God is blessing us. You know, it's, it's unbelievable what God's doing. We're running 300 and we had a revival and, you know, people are getting saved. And, and we always wonder, well, how come nobody really tells what's really going on? And so I had a buddy that was a youth minister, and he was real big into drama. And we used to love, we would go to these things, and then they'd have breakout sessions at the convention or at different conferences that we were at. And you go and you sit, and you kind of wait for, uh, you know, everybody thing to get started, and you're sitting around. And so we would prompt him. We would say, hey, brother, how's it going at your church? And he would almost break out into tears, and he would start saying, it's just horrible. They hate me, and people are leaving, and we're not running any numbers. And it was so funny to look around. He'd say it loud. And so to look around and see... All the other faces of these other pastors, they kind of start scooting away like that's contagious, you know, and move. But anyway, my friend and I were talking, and he asked, how are things going at the church? And, uh, you know, and I started sharing with him kind of what God's been doing here and what we've been going through and where we're going and kind of, uh, you know, what God has done through our church and in our church. And he, he said something. He said, well, it sounds to me like your church is going through a church revitalization. Now, you also need to understand in ministry, we like our buzzwords. We like nice little buzzwords to describe what's going on in the church. You ask somebody, they'll say, well, we're, we're a missional church, or we're a, uh, you know, we are a church plan, or we are a satellite church, or we are an established church. Well, the new buzzword is revitalization. We are a revitalization church, and uh, I'm all for it. I think it, it, it's incredible for 
young pastors and new pastors to have a heart and a passion for that. See, what that means is they're, they're going into older established churches. They're encouraging young pastors and new pastors to go into older established churches and help them um, move into the next century, which for some old churches is moving into the 19th century. But, you know, you're trying to move them forward to get them focused on where God is going and what God is doing. And it's always been my heart. It's always been my passion. I would encourage students that uh, we can't just leave churches behind just because, you know, that, that they're not up to date with what's going on. You know, churches start plateauing. They start declining. And uh, young pastors, it's so much easier to go to a suburb or go to a shopping center and start your own church. Get a small group starting your house and start your own church then have to go in to an established church or a, a more traditional church and help them refocus and retool with what God was doing. And uh, that's what church revitalization is. And so when he asked, he said, it sounds like that's what you're doing. I said, yeah, I guess that's kind of what we've been doing here. It's kind of where we're headed. And uh, we left and parted. And uh, that later that night, I was in bed, and, and it was just strange. I'm in a room with three other teenagers, and I'm laying there uh, in the middle of the night, and God just, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. And uh, clear as I, can, as I can tell you, he said, you're not going through a revitalization. And I thought, well, you know, Lord, thanks for waking me up to clear my context and my uh, terms. And he began to share with me what God was doing, what he was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through our church. And he continued to use the term birthing. He said, you're not going through a revitalization. You're going through a rebirth. You are going through uh, the, the picture that Jesus gives of a new wine being poured into a new wineskin. He said, you are birthing a new work in and through what God is doing there. And I began to think about all the ways that you go through uh, when you have a child. What happens when you birth something? And I began to think how similar what happens when you birth something is... To, to how God works when he begins to start a new work. I mean, think about it just for a minute. And I, I don't want to run off on this, but I want you just to think. Because I laid there all night writing things down as the Holy Spirit just poured it into me. And, and, and I, I started thinking about it. You know, when, when a baby's coming, when you know that a baby is coming, it changes everything. Doesn't it? You remember what it was like when you had your first child for those of you who had kids? I mean, it changed everything. You had to change everything in the house. You had to change your schedule. You had to be willing to be flexible because everything was going to be different. It's the same thing when God begins to birth a new work in the church. It requires flexibility. It requires that we're willing to adapt and to change for the health of the baby. It also requires you to be willing to listen and learn because you don't know everything there is, right? How many of you, when you had a baby, thought, I got it figured out? I used to love young families because I was the same way. I mean, I read the books, right? There was a couple of books. I've seen babies. I worked in church, you know, 10 years before we had babies. I had to work in the nursery. I saw how they operated. I was ready for a baby. No, I wasn't ready for a baby, right? They hand it to you at the hospital, and you walk out that door, and you're like, is anybody coming with us? You're just, you're just giving us this thing, and you go home, and you kind of look at it, and you're like, what? And that's what happens when God bursts something new in the church. He, he begins to do it and you think, I, you know, I'm ready for God to do something. And all of a sudden it looks different than what we expected. And, and it requires so much more work and so much more effort. And we're like, I don't know if I was really ready for what God said he was going to do when he begins to do it. Another thing about having a baby is it's messy and chaotic. I mean, I don't know about you, but being in that room when something is birthed is, is just a, a crazy, incredible 
I mean, it, it, there's no way to describe it until you get in there. I mean, just people are in chaos, and, and, and it's messy, and it's, you know, I, I wanted to be like my dad. My dad always brags that while I was being born in uh, the mid-60s, he was having dinner down at the restaurant across the street because they, they just put you in a room and let, didn't let you go in, you know. And I always told my wife, I said, I, can we go back to that? I don't want to go in there. And you husbands have said that, no better. I ended up in there, right? And so I'm in there. And, but I was over in the corner. Because I wanted to be a far away, because I was like, no, what is this? And you see, when God begins to birth a work, when God begins to do something in the church, it can be messy and it can be chaotic and it may not make sense and it may not look like anything we expect. But the incredible thing about a baby is when you get that thing and you hold it, you realize that there's a whole new world of opportunity there. It's a whole new avenue. It can do anything and it can be anything. And that's what happens when God births something in the church. That it's something new and it's something incredible. And although it's its own independent thing, the beautiful thing about your children is they have your DNA. They have the DNA of what birthed it. And you see, when God rebirths something in the church, it may be a new work and it may be something different and it may look like something different, but it still has the DNA of those who came before it. You see, I believe God is birthing something here, doing something new. And the reason I tell you all this is because in the last... Month, two months, three months. People have asked me a lot. They come and say, Rusty, uh, where do you think God's taking us as a church? Where, what's your vision? What's your dream? What's your hopes for us as the body here in Blowing Rock? And my answer is still the same as it was when I arrived here seven years ago. It's encapsulated in this purpose statement. I believe that God wants to do something incredible here if we'll let him. And I believe my answer to that question is the same as it was the first Sunday I stood in this pulpit. I stood here and I preached a message seven years ago today, seven years ago this Sunday, about what I felt like God was leading us to do as a church. So this morning, I want to look at that same passage that I preached seven years ago today. And I want to share with you that God still has a purpose. God still has a plan. He is birthing something. The question for us is are we going to be a part of it? So if you have your Bible, you have your blue sheet, I want you to read this very, very well-known story from Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I believe as we look at this, we will find the characteristics that God is birthing in this church and, and how we can be a part of it. And not just as a church, but individuals. If you're a guest or visitor here, these are things that God births in us. But before God can do it in the corporate body, God does it in us as individuals. You see, we are nothing more than the body of Christ as an individual. And, and when God begins to do these things in us, we come together as the body and he does it in all of us. So this is a message to each of us as individuals as well as the body. Matthew chapter 20, we're, or 21, I'm sorry, we're going to pick up in, in verse 12. It says, Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches and those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. They were outraged. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read that from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them, and he went out of the city of Bethany. You see, I believe in this story we find the answers to what God is looking for in a church. What Jesus expects the church body to be. Now in this story, 
we run through this because most of us have heard this story two or three times. We've heard uh, the, the story of Jesus going in and turning over the tables and, and getting mad. But you need to understand uh, what they were doing there in the temple was actually started out with good intentions. Start out for all the right reasons. You see, people came to the temple to worship from all over the country. Poor, rich, middle class. It wasn't really middle class, but all things in between. And they would come and worship in the temple, and sometimes they couldn't bring sacrifices. And so these people started out with the idea, we will provide sacrifices for those that are in need. And so it had good intentions. And the, the money changers, we think of the money changers being these evil guys. It started out with good intentions. Because, see, they didn't have dollar bills. They didn't have coins like we do. Some of them used Roman currency, but most of them used local currency. They would mine their own coins, or they would have things that they would trade. And so they would bring these things to trade, and the money changers would give them money for what they were bringing. But over time, it got corrupted. Like so many things that happened in our own life. Over time, something good became corrupt because they allowed other things to enter into it. Now, I know a lot of people use this passage, you know, of why we shouldn't sell anything in the church. I, I promise I've heard that past message preached uh, five or six times in my 48 years that, you know, this passage is telling us that we never should sell anything in the church and don't put them CD tables out front and you can't do because it it's the money changers. And that's bad hermeneutics. That's bad interpretation. That's not what he was saying. This isn't telling us that we should never sell stuff from the church. Now, we need to be careful with that kind of stuff because we have a tendency to lose focus of what we're here for. But that's not what he's talking about. You see, the reason Jesus was mad is because the church, the, the people in the church, the people there that were serving the Gentiles and the Jews, they were supposed to be there to worship and they'd lost focus and they'd made money and they'd made their prestige and they made their power more important than what the real focus was. And so instead of the focus being God, the focus was on them and what they could get out of it. And you see, the same thing is true in the church today. There are so many things that we have done in the past that were great and that were incredible ministries and incredible programs, but we've lost focus and we've lost sight and we've lost our attentiveness to what God is doing. And we've allowed them to become more to us than what God is, more important to us than the purpose and the ministry of the church. And so I want you to see why Jesus overturned. I love the story because it, you know, it, 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 we lose really translation of how big a deal this was. This would be like you eating in a restaurant this week and everything being quiet and somebody walking in and going to the serving table where all the plates and the forks were and just throwing it out. Everybody in the whole area noticed. Everybody around saw it because you see, Jesus wasn't doing this to be dramatic. He wanted everybody's attention. So the first thing I think that we need to focus on this is sometimes Jesus overturns our tables. Now this wasn't in my message seven years ago. Because this is something God's been teaching me along the way. See, sometimes in our life, we lose focus. Sometimes we get distracted. And for Jesus to get our attention, He has to turn our tables over. He has to do something to get our attention. You see, Jesus could have come in there, he could clap his hands, said, hey, pay attention, listen. Hey, guys, you know, this is not what I created you to be. This is not what you were supposed to be doing. Nobody would have listened. He knew that the only way to get their attention was to draw all attention to what was the problem. 
And sometimes in our own life, God has to come. We've grown comfortable. We've gotten set in our ways. Uh, we have, have gotten sidetracked. We've put our spiritual growth on cruise control. And we just go and we do it as a church and we do it as an individual. And sometimes God has to just come in and overturn the tables to get our attention. Now, for individuals, sometimes that happens at a revival or it happens at a youth camp or it happens at a retreat. And you may have had an experience like that where all of a sudden you thought everything was good, but good is not what God calls us to. See, we learned two weeks ago, God calls us to surrender. And if you're not surrendered, then sometimes God has to come and get your attention. And in the church, sometimes when we lose focus, when we get sidetracked, sometimes when we're not being obedient, sometimes when we have taken something and, and, and we just put it on cruise control and we've lost the attentiveness to where we're supposed to go, God has to come in and turn our tables. He has to disrupt things. And He's disrupting. And, and sometimes He can turn your tables on a Sunday morning in church. The, the problem is you've got to be listening for it. You've got to be willing to hear you see, I think there were some people when he turned the tables over, they were sitting over here and they were doing their thing and they heard it and they just kind of like, okay, yeah, that's good and went back to what they were doing and they missed it. And I think some of us may miss this when God comes in our lives and begins to turn everything over. You see, what God does when he turns our tables is he's trying to get our focus back on what was important. Trying to get our attentiveness back to what he wants us to do instead of what we want to do. You know, athletes do this all the time. Athletes, if they want to be a, a, an excellent athlete, if they want to be the best athlete they can be, they don't just ride their coattails. You see these basketball players, they go still and they shoot for two hours before practice, before game. Why? You say, you're the best basketball player there is because I can get better. Because it's easy to get complacent. In the Christian life, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to think, I come to church every week and I carry a Bible, right? I've got a bumper sticker on my car and everything's good and, and I'm spiritual. And God says, no, you're missing it. See, I, I'm not about you coming to church. That's a great thing, but that's not what I'm about. I'm not about you writing a check to the church. It's a great thing. We like for you to do that sometimes, but that's not what it's about. It's not about how much you talk Jesus out there, or how big your Bible is. It's about an intimate relationship with Him. And if we lose track of that, and we get caught up in the religious stuff, and we get caught up in all the other stuff, and we miss that He just wants to spend time with us. And as a church, it's the same thing. You see, what, what happens when God overturns our tables is it should cause us to evaluate, to take a deep look inside. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you took a deep look at your life? I mean, an honest look. Just said, God, have I surrendered everything? God, what is it in my life that, I, that I've just settled into a pattern? See, I know we don't like change. I mean, matter of fact, we, we always say we don't like We hate change. We hate all change. I mean, I, there's not anybody I know that likes change. It, it can be little change. It could be you drive the same way to work every day, and one day you have to go a different, different way. They talk about it all day, right? You ever had a coworker do that? And I tell you, this morning I had to drive. There was traffic. I had to go this way and that way. You'll hear them in the cafeteria. Hey, did y'all know this morning I had to go? Why? Because we don't like change. You don't believe me? Those of you that have little kids, get, get your kid and make them brush their teeth with a different hand. See how much they like that. You try to brush with a different hand. See, we don't like change. But sometimes, no, all the time, change can help us refocus on what God wants. 
The gospel is about change. It's about me going from death to life. It's about my old creation being put away, becoming a new person. Change is in our DNA once we claim the name Christ. So that means we need to evaluate everything. That means as a church, we need to lay everything out and say, uh, our ministries and our programs and our activities... Everything that we do, we need to put it on the table and say, has this lost its purpose? Are we just doing this because we've always done it because you know it worked 25 years ago and it sounded like a good deal and the church down the road was doing it and we just keep doing it? We need to evaluate where we spend our money. Are all those things in line with what our vision is? Where we put our resources, where we put our energy in? Because I think sometimes in the church, we do a whole bunch of stuff good, but it's not what God called us to do. See, we need to evaluate on our, on our own lives. We need to evaluate ourselves. Take a deep look inside. Is there anything in your life that you haven't surrendered? Is there anything in your life that, that you have grown comfortable in? What's distracting you? Maybe a relationship. Maybe a, a job. Maybe something that's come into your life and it's pulled you off track. Maybe it's time God overturns the tables. So he said, well, Pastor, I'm doing good today. Everything's going good. I'm willing to God, whatever He wants for me, I surrender at everything. Let me give you a little test. It's an easy test. Those of you that are here every week, what if God came to you this week and told you that He wanted you to go to the 11 o'clock worship service because He wanted you to teach a small group during this service? Or there was somebody that comes to the 11 o'clock service that you work with and God wanted you to go and minister to them. And I know what's going through your head, but, but God, I like this service. God, I like this kind of music. God, I, I got friends in this service. God, it's just easier for me to go to this service. So we start rationalizing. We start excusing. That's a little bitty thing. I didn't say I asked you. I didn't say it was in the bulletin. I said the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and said, listen, I need you to do this we're not willing to be obedient in the little things God's never going to give us the big things see what have you not surrendered sometimes God needs to turn over the tables for us to get a good hard look at what we're doing and why we're doing it and that's why he did it to that group to get a look at what they were doing look what he says next after he turns over the tables he says my house will be called a house of prayer. You see, I think any church that is going to do what God calls it to do has to be built on prayer. Has to depend on prayer for everything. Let me say, we have a weekly prayer meeting. We still meet on Wednesdays and pray as a church. We have prayer breakfasts that we've been doing for people to pray. We've got a prayer team that meets and prays before the service, during things. We had people praying while we were at camp. We had people praying during vacation Bible school. we got a great prayer group, but it's not enough. You see, what he is saying is that for the church to be the church, prayer has got to be your pivotal focus of everything that you do. Everything that you have and say and do needs to be undergirded, needs to be bathed, needs to be washed in prayer. See, I want us to get so comfortable with prayer. So many Christians today are so uncomfortable with prayer because we don't understand what it is. I I just don't get it. We love to talk on the phone about nothing. We must because everybody I see has their phone out all the time. You texting or talking. And, you know, we're always engaged. But yet when it comes to being engaged with God, we act like we don't know what we're doing. 
It's just talking. Just sharing their hearts. See, if we can't do anything else right, we have got to do prayer right. We have got to be comfortable and expect for prayer to be a priority in the church. We need to teach our kids. We need to train our students. We need to practice as adults. We need to make prayer something that impacts everything we do. You see, I've heard it said before that for the Christian, and for the church especially, prayer is like the gas in a car. You can have a wonderful looking car. It can be top of the line, have all the bells and whistles, be as pretty as it can be. But if you don't put any gas in it, it's useless, right? Just a nice piece of yard art, right? That's the way the church is. A, a church that is not praying, it doesn't have prayer as a priority, it is nothing more than a nice decoration on the corner of a town. On a personal level, every failure that we have in our life has its roots in prayer. If you have a sin failure, it's prayer can prevent it. If you have a need, prayer provides it. If you're looking for power, prayer is how you release it. If you're looking for understanding, prayer explains it. See, that we have got to be about talking to God, bathing everything that we do, surrendering who we are. See, God, Jesus said, at my church will be a house of prayer. Then did you see what happened after the prayer? What was going on as, as he said, my house would be prayer. He overturned the tables. There was surrender, prayer. And all of a sudden it said Jesus moved straight into healing the lame and those that were sick. Because you see, in our lives and in the church's life, when we surrender who we are to God, when we make prayer a priority, God's power is always demonstrated. So I want to be a part of a church that shows God's power. I want people to look at the church and go, how in the world did that happen? That's not supposed to work. That's not the way they write it in the books. How in the world did that work? And the only explanation would be God's power. So I want to be, a, I want to be that kind of Christian where people come up and go, how did that happen? And I can say, I don't know, God, right? But the problem for that to happen is you don't pray for God's power. The church, we shouldn't come up here and go, God, pour your power out on us. What do you pray for? You pray for the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit, Jesus uses the word dunamis to describe it. Same word we have for dynamite. Jesus said, I'm going to give you something that's going to live inside of you that's dynamite, explosive power. And you see what happens is when you begin to pray for the Spirit to be loosed in your life, when you surrender who you are and you're praying for the Holy Spirit, power just comes out. It just pours out. The reason most of us don't see the power of God in our lives and in our churches is because we won't get out of the way. Because see, for the Holy Spirit to be in control, we have to let go of control. And we don't like that. See, God is looking to pour out His power in a body. He's doing it all over, overseas, all over in the mission field. Why? Because those people just believe the Bible when they read it. They don't have all the things that we have in growing up to be taught that maybe this verse doesn't mean what it means and maybe this really isn't exactly saying what it's saying and maybe this was a myth or maybe this was a legend or maybe this is just uh, allegory. They read the Bible and they say, listen, the Bible says if I pray and I surrender, God's going to pour out His power. And all of a sudden it starts happening and, and we go over. I've been overseas and we look around and go, man, how did that happen? Because this is what God says to do. See, God's looking to pour out His Spirit on a church.
to be faithful for what he's calling us to do, to, to be poured out. See, the reason we don't have power in church is, is too many churches are trading tomorrow for yesterday. See, too many churches are so worried about, I wish it was like it used to be, and, and I remember the good old days. You, you can't drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. And what happens is God starts working in a way that we didn't see Him do 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. And we don't recognize it. Because we're too busy looking over here instead of looking for God. And all of a sudden God shows up and, and we're not ready for it. God is doing a new work in a new way all over the world. We've got to be ready for it. That's what revitalization is about. That's what rebirth is about. God is moving. See, some people are so concerned with cosmetics that they never understand character. See, so many people in churches are so worried about how things look. What, what, what do we look like on the outside? God's worried about the inside. You see, power comes from the inside. It is the internal exploding on the external. We've got to get past this idea of the outside being the judge of what God is doing. It's the heart. And God wants to pour out His Spirit on all flesh and overwhelm us. And I love what happens here. Turning the tables over, prayer, God's power showing up. And then the little boys that are off to the side of the story, did you see what they started doing? They started singing. How do we know? Because the priest came in and said, time out. These boys can't be singing that. What were they saying? Hosanna to David in the highest from the house of David. Who is the house of David? The Messiah. And the priest came over and goes, time out, these, these boys can't be singing this. You see, what happens when we surrender our life and when all of a sudden we start praying and the power of God overwhelms us, praise, worship just happens. And I want to be a part of a church where worship just happens. See, nobody got up to the little boys and said, okay, please rise, we're going to sing this hymn. We're going to put the words on the screen behind us. Put your hands in your lap. Nobody got it. What happened? They saw God show up. They saw people getting healed. There was a guy over there that couldn't walk, and all of a sudden he got up on legs, and there was a blind guy, and he started seeing, and all of a sudden these boys, they couldn't hold it anymore. They started saying, wait a minute, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, you see what happens when we start seeing God's power, when we surrender everything we have. Worship just happens. You know why? Because you were created for it. Ephesians 1 says that you were created to be to the praise of His glory. Your whole purpose on this world, on this whole earth, is to be a reflection, worshiping Him, giving Him His worth. Why? Because He is God. And when we begin to recognize that He is God, you can't help but worship. You know the reason most of us don't worship? Because we hold back. We block it. Because you were created to worship. If you were created to worship and you're redeemed and, and the power of sin is all for your life, then why do we not worship every day? Why are we not overwhelmed with God's power? You know, we don't even have to think about what God's done for us, just who He is. That the creator of the universe loves you. That's enough for you to worship from now until eternity. And I'm not talking about a song or a sermon or a service. I'm talking about with your life. That's what I was referencing earlier. A living sacrifice. Here is my body. My spiritual act of worship. Everything that I do, my coming and my going is worshiping God. What does that mean? Giving glory to God. 
And when we come together as the body of Christ, it is an overflow of what happened during the week. And we should be so overwhelmed that worship just happens. But we're so worried about what this person thinks and what that person may say. When's the last time at home, your prayer closet, when you're driving, you just start worshiping? Some of you know how to worship. I've seen you on the highway. Man, you guys are clapping and going. You do. I do. Embarrasses my kids to death. They're like, stop, Dad. I'm like, nobody's around. Because, see, I, sometimes I was so restrained in my, in my first 30 years of life. Because I thought worship was about singing a song because a leader got up and told us to. And every once in a while, I got goosebumps when we sang certain songs. And I thought, man, I really worship today. And there was a moment in my life that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit began to overwhelm me and I began to realize that worship was not about me. It was about me reflecting back on the one who was worthy of worship and all of a sudden I couldn't contain it. And me, who those of you know my personality, I'm an introvert, found myself clapping and holding my hands and jumping up and down. And people would look at me like, you are crazy. I'm like, no, I'm saved. And I can't stop. Some people say, why don't you come up here and sit? You know, most pastors sit up front when they worship because sometimes the Holy Spirit, it just, I just get a glimpse of who He is. And I think about how much He loves me. And I, just, I can't sit. I want to jump up and shout. Those little boys couldn't contain it anymore. The high priests were overwhelmed with it. You see, they were so worried about the what and the where and the when. They missed the who. They said, you need to tell those boys to be quiet. And Jesus said, have you never read that from the mouth of infants and children, praise will erupt? You ever watch your kids worship? Should have been here for vacation Bible school. They were dancing around and shouting and singing. And what do we tell them? Now, when you get in big church, you don't need to do that. I'm not saying we've got to come in here and shout and jump because it's not about what we do out here. It's about what's going on in here. So you can shout and jump and run a laps around a place and scream and holler like some churches do. And if you're not right here, that's just a show. It means nothing. But I want to suggest to you that when you get right here and you all of a sudden catch a glimpse of the power of God in your life, something that He does in your life, and you come together with other believers, there's an electricity that takes off and worship doesn't have to be prompted or encouraged or, or has to be a certain way with certain instruments or a choir or an organ or, or a certain style. It just happens. And when God's power comes on your life, you can worship with a cricket in the evening of a dark summer night. You can worship with a stream as you listen to that running water all of a sudden start singing its praise. The Bible says the whole earth groans for the coming of Christ. Start hearing those birds outside and you start thinking they're singing to my God. I need to join in. Jesus said it. If I silence them, the rocks and the hills will cry out. Why? Because He is worthy I want to be a part of a church that desires, that has a passion for worship. 
You see, God's calling us to surrender. God's calling us to prayer. God's calling us to get out of the way and let His power fall. And God is calling us to worship. What does that mean? That means we need to be a place to believe, a place to belong, and a place to come where anyone could come from whatever background they have and have the freedom to worship God how He calls us to. To to believe the truth of the Word of God. I believe what it says and I'm going to stand on that. To belong, to be a part of the community, to be a part of the body, to be a team. And to become, to become what? What God has empowered you to be. To use your gifts for this body and His body to make a difference. See, people say, where are we going? Same place we've been going for seven years. It may have been a windy road. may have had detours. may have had potholes. But listen, we are moving and God is birthing something and He wants you to be a part. He is pouring out new wine and He's looking for new wineskins. People willing to stretch. People willing to be flexible. He is birthing a new work. You know, I close the saddest part of this passage. Those religious leaders, that their whole purpose in life was the Messiah coming. These guys had spent their entire life looking for the Messiah, looking for the one who was going to come and redeem them. And he was standing in front of them. And they walked away. I wonder how many times in our life God overturns the tables and He starts demonstrating His power and all of a sudden we start sinning. But we turn and we walk away from Him without responding. They missed Him in their midst. I don't want to miss Him. I don't want you to miss Him. God is doing something. Can you sense it? Can you see it? Or are you too distracted? God's working in your home. He's working. People say America is going to hell. No, America's not going to hell. God is working. It may take persecution for the Christians to rise up and stand the way God's called us to. It may take a little bit. We've had it comfortable. We've had it our way. Maybe God is getting us ready. Maybe He's turning over the tables in this country so that the church will stand up and depend on His power instead of a politician. Depend on Him leading us instead of somebody else out there tell you something, God is at work because when Jesus comes, we just finished our study of Revelation. When Jesus comes, He's not coming for a battered and beat up and bruised bride. He's coming for a bride that's going to be standing victorious, trusting Him. I want to be a part of that. That's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your word. God, I thank you that you overturned tables in my life. God, there are so many times I've gotten comfortable and complacent as a pastor, as a student pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a man, as a friend. And there are times that you've had to come and turn over the tables. So you need to get a hard look at yourself. God, I pray this morning you turn over our tables. God, I pray this morning that we would say, Holy Spirit, you come. Turn over any table you need to. That's a scary thing to say, but God, we say it this morning. You turn over our tables here at church. You turn over my tables individually. We just want to be what you've called us to be. God, we want to see your power. God, we want to worship you in spirit and truth. God, we want to trust you. God, speak to us. Father, bless each person here. Draw them close now, no matter where they're from, visitors, guests, longtime members, new members. God, whatever you're doing in their heart, let them respond to you. 
Holy Spirit, we love you. We worship you in your name. Would you stand and worship with us? Broken people, they call his name.